Welcome back to another episode of Talking Ball, everyone. I'm Pat Leonard, the New York Daily News' NFL columnist and Giants beat writer. Have some special guests this week. Benny Fowler, the Super Bowl champion, former NFL wide receiver, is back to download on all things around the league after week four and talk a little bit about a special wide receiver to this New York area. And Brad Sohn, a Miami-based attorney with some player support to be the next executive director of the NFLPA, joins me to discuss the Tua Tagovailoa disaster and NFL player concussions and safety. But we have to start with the biggest news in these parts, Odell Beckham Jr., OBJ, stepping foot back in the Giants facility. Josina Anderson, first to report that Odell was in the house in East Rutherford. The sources told me the reason he was here, the reason he was in this area, he flew here specifically to visit Sterling Shepard, his friend and former teammate who just tore the left ACL in his knee and is approaching surgery, preparing for surgery, preparing his mind as well as his body. And Odell, who just went some, through something similar, you know, tearing up his knee in the Super Bowl, is being there for his friend. Now, obviously, it's intriguing. He visited Shepard at the Giants building and not had his apartment, condo, or house. It's meaningful that Odell was in the training room, not just talking to Shepard, but to some other Giants players as well. Though, as far as I understand it, it was not an official free agent visit. Odell did not speak to GM Joe Shane or head coach Brian Dable. He remains a free agent. And the most likely scenario for Odell, as he continues to rehab his knee, is that come November, weeks 9, 10, 11-ish, he will re-sign with the Los Angeles Rams. They still have a locker there for him. They never took it down, as reported by some of the great journalists out there, Gary Klein, Jordan Rodriguez. And the Rams, let's be honest, since the spring, they've looked at their Super Bowl win last year, and they see last year's arrangement as a perfect uh, thing to run back. You look at what happened. They got Odell midseason. He had to get his body right coming from Cleveland. They gave him some time to acclimate, to learn the playbook. And then he and the Rams took off. Matt Stafford and that offense ended up winning a Super Bowl with Odell scoring the first touchdown in that game. This year, it would be perfect for the Rams really to, to just do it again. You know, they do have Allen Robinson, though he's not catching the ball much right now. But with Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson is out. Obviously, Robert Wood's gone. And Odell would slot very nicely right back into the role he played last year. He has a family out there. He has a son now. He's well-established in Los Angeles where he had trained in off-seasons even when he was a giant. So that remains the most likely scenario for him. But it certainly makes sense for Odell to look, look at some options, to think about what it would be like to return to his former team, to maybe join Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay to maybe join Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. like These are things that if you were Odell Beckham Jr., it would only make sense to consider some of these great quarterbacks who might have a chance to win a Super Bowl. And that's why a return to the Rams would make sense as well, even though they're still working some kinks out in their offense. Is the Giants likely to happen for OBJ? Probably not. But it's not impossible. I can't sit here and tell you that there is a 0% chance that Odell would come back to the Giants. I can't tell you there's a 0% chance that the Giants would welcome him back. Because this is the first thing that crossed my mind when I heard that Odell was back in the building. Didn't surprise me at all. You know why? Dave Gettleman's no longer the general manager. Yes, Dave Gettleman and the Giants paid Odell a lot of money first. But then Dave Gettleman traded Odell Beckham Jr. to Cleveland. And the way that that situation was handled left a bad taste. And the fact is that there are plenty of people in the Giants building who respect Odell, who like Odell, and who would, and as you saw, just did welcome him back in the building. It just had to be cleaned out. It had to be turned over. Uh, the general manager was responsible for him no longer being a Giant, had to go. He's gone. New regime, same ownership, but new regime. And now we see Odell returning, at least to shake some hands for now. Now, the Giants will have to continue winning. They'll have to stay more than relevant. They'll have to be a team that's in contention, in my opinion, come November for Odell Beckham Jr. to consider this. Right now, I think this is a good business move to leverage the Rams, first of all. But also, I could tell you this. There's been a lot of noise over the last couple of months surrounding 
Beckham and his potential move coming later this fall, that a New York move would make a lot of sense for him personally, business-wise, even football-wise, possibly. Now, in the short term, is it his best football decision? Probably not going to be. But you look down the road, you look at the fact that Odell's back here visiting Shepard and and saying hi to some people that he spent several years with as a former first-round pick here. And this is obviously where his star grew largest and where he turned into an international superstar with his one-handed catch, among many other accomplishments in games won and touchdowns scored. And it just makes sense to reopen that door, keep it open more than a crack, and be prepared for the day someday in the future, sometime where it might make sense to reunite and put back on the number 13 in big blue. So is Odell Beckham Jr. going to be a giant this season? It's still unlikely that that happens, but it's not impossible. And it's certainly now not impossible, as you can see from some maybe fences mended or fences that were never knocked down fully in the first place, that Beckham is keeping open the option and the opportunity to one day be a giant again. We'll be right back here on Talking Ball with former Super Bowl champion, Benny Fowler. All right, welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. We are here with Super Bowl 50 champion, former NFL wide receiver, Benny Fowler, back on the podcast. Benny, thanks for coming back. Of course, Pat, always appreciate it, and I always appreciate just doing this via via Zoom or Zencaster in terms of, you know, just seeing the book in the background, man. I, I always appreciate that, man, so thank you. Oh, of course, yeah. Hey, listen, you you do so much off the field now, and even when you were on the field, like, if I introduced all the things that you were entrepreneur, author, like we'd never get to football, right? <laughs> so uh, let's get right in. And this is juicy. This is, a, this is a juicy podcast, a lot to talk about, especially here in New York, Benny, because you know who Odell Beckham Jr. was back in the Giants facility, not an official visit, but was back in the Giants facility on Monday. So I put it to you, Benny Fowler, former Giant. You know these guys, you played in the league a long time. Do you think Odell to the Giants is a realistic possibility? I hope it's a realistic possibility just as a fan of him, as a fan of the people that are on that team and and the the time and the fun that I had in that locker room, especially playing with him, Saquon and Sterling Shepard. And, you know, I think I think it would be awesome. I think it would be awesome for his career and his brand to come back to New York uh, because I didn't like the way personally, not that he left just the way the situation was. Hmm. You know, I think Odell is, is, a, is a great person, uh, one of the most incredible talents, if not the best talent that I was able to play with, along with Saquon, in terms of just overall natural talent ability. So I would love to see him back in the Giants uniform. It just kind of makes sense. So whoever has number 13, oh, my man Seals. Uh, <laughs> I like Seals. I like Seals, but... Um, might have to, move, might have to <laughs> put on a different number. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, but it would be good to see Odell back and it would just be great for the, the brand. It would just be a great story too. Do you think there's a realistic chance that happens over something like the Rams where, you know, Odell's now, you know, living in LA, he's got a family there. The Rams didn't even take his locker down and obviously they won the Super Bowl. So they're a Super Bowl contender considered a favorite, even though they've kind of had hiccups early on. So like, is it a realistic thing to say Odell would choose New York, let's say over, the Rams, or even the Packers and Aaron Rodgers who may need a a trade deadline upgrade or free agent signing to help themselves out? You know, that's an interesting thing. I think Odell will be torn between New York and L.A. I think those are two places that, you know, they fit his personality. They fit who he is. They fit his brand. They fit him as an entrepreneur. They fit him as an athlete. So, you know, the the Rams know what they're doing by keeping that locker up. But Odell, he's a smart person. He knows how to, to... keep his name hot and, you know, him visiting New York and being in that building that, you know, things like that are important. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if he actually did choose New York because if, you know, they're a hot team three and one, I know a lot of people weren't expecting that, but look at my boy DJ go. And I mean, Saquon is only going to get better the rest of this year. You can just see him getting a rhythm. I mean, it's so, it's just so good to see it. So it's so in uh, refreshing to see. Yeah, I tried to explain to people too that, you know, Odell was never going to come back into the building 
while Dave Gettleman was still the general manager. Now that he's gone, there are a lot of people in New York and in the Giants building who feel the way you do about him, that they respect him as a person. They respect him as a player. They didn't want to see him leave necessarily. And I don't think it's impossible. I think you're on the nose that maybe maybe Los Angeles is the right fit and the obvious fit, but it is not impossible in my opinion, not only from Odell's end, but from the Giants' end that this could occur because they've certainly looked at re- upgrades at receiver, you know, Cole Beasley, who ends up signing with the Buccaneers. They just don't have a lot of money to spend. But boy, would everything turn up here in this in this market. I mean, it already did just with the guy stepping into the building for a few hours. Um, so certainly a very exciting time. While we're talking about receivers and we have the Rams on mind, Penny, wanted to shift to you look at this Monday night game and Detroit's own Allen Robinson, okay? He signs a three-year, $46 million deal with the Rams in the offseason. And through four games, he has nine catches for 95 and a touchdown. I think he had two for seven in this loss to the Niners. Do you think, you know, does, does there need to be a change? I mean, can they work this out? Can they figure this out? Like, why are they not getting the ball to Allen Robinson? What do you see as a receiver and a former NFL player that this isn't clicking right now? To be honest, what I see is no different than, you know, when I first came on the podcast and I talked about any quarterback that is going to do well, they're going to need protection. So the question is, is I can't see it from the point of view of how they would watch film, but I would ask is the protection there for Matthew Stafford to deliver the ball to Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson is playing the X. Those are usually the backside routes. We know Cooper Cup is kind of the first guy to actually go out and, you know, be in the progression though, but you know, if Matthew Stafford doesn't feel comfortable or have time to throw, he's just going to immediately go to that outlet. So the question is, is is there enough protection? Because I know Allen Robinson's open. I, <laughs> I played with him in Chicago. I grew up with him. We grew up together. I'm, I'm two years older than him, but we grew up together, played AAU together. Our families are very close. He was at my wedding. So I know he's open. I played with him in Chicago, I, and I've seen him on film. I've, I've never heard a, a, a opposing coach have more respect than what Sean Payton had for um, when we were playing the Chicago Bears. So wow. he uh, he had tremendous respect for A-Rob, and I know A-Rob's open. So uh, I'd be curious to see where the game plan and, you know, what Sean McVay has really drawn up. But, you know, you can, Matthew Stafford's not going to be able to deliver that ball if he has no protection. So I think Matthew Stafford was sacked seven times last night, pressured 17. It's just going to be hard to get people the ball. Cooper Cup's got the shorter routes. So it's going to just end up throwing him the ball. No, that is that's really good perspective. I think a lot of people are blaming it on oh, player's not a good fit. But if he's running routes down the field backside and Stafford can't get to those, that explains it right there. Like you said, Robinson's always been a great player, not a good player, a great player with quarterbacks much worse than Stafford. So it would be crazy to think all of a sudden this player isn't producing and has lost his talent. Um, and and then let's remember too with the Rams, they don't have Odell as that third option. They don't have. Uh, Van Jefferson, who's hurt right now. So they're kind of limited on the outside as well. Um, And while we're talking about a a Super Bowl reigning champ who's kind of skidding a little bit, I wanted to turn to really, let's evaluate the whole league. Let's look at how teams have gone up, gone down, and where you think as a seasoned veteran and someone who watches all these games and knows way more football than I do, where (laughs) they all stand and whether they earned it or whether you're worried. So we're going to say, are you a believer or are you worried? Okay. And I'm going to start with the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts at 4-0. Do you believe that they are as good as their record says they are? I do believe that. Starting with their defense and then number one, who, and then Jalen Hurts as a leader. I mean, he is playing complete football. He's playing complimentary football. He is playing from a place of strength. And that is using his legs, but also delivering the ball. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, um, the tight end, Gobbert. I mean, but they're front four. On the other side, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox. I mean, they're monsters. When I when we won a Super Bowl, we our quarterback play was not necessarily the best, but the defense was incredible. And I think at Philadelphia, they're catching lightning in a bottle right now, and and they're playing with a lot of swagger. So I'm a believer. Benny, when you see Jalen Hurts throw, because I know in, in years past, even like you heard defenses openly say like we're going to try to make Hurts throw the ball to beat us. So obviously he's worked hard at it. When you watch him throw as a quarterback, 
as a receiver, like, do you have reservations about how he delivers the ball? Do you see noticeable improvements in it? I think he's always delivered the ball the same way. I think right now he just has incredible talent surrounding him. So you can actually see all of his ability. He's got AJ Brown, who has a great relationship with Devontae Smith, who he had at Alabama. Like, you know, those are first round picks. So now he has all the talent surrounded to him. And now he can just, he can flourish. So I think he's always delivered a, a good ball. But, you okay. know, there's, yeah, I think he's, yeah, he's doing his thing. Rain, sleet, or snow, the Eagles train will go, was what Hurts said in the <laughs> locker room after their fourth win. Vibes are high in the city, city of brotherly love, but they're also high right around here. Giants, three and one. You mentioned Saquon. I mean, looks like he's shot out of a cannon right now. Are you a believer that the Giants are going to keep this up? Are these three wins in four games, um, is it smoke or is it is it fire? No, it's fire. I, and I believe... Look, I believe in Daniel Jones and I believe in Saquon Barkley. I'm I'm really upset that uh, Sterling got hurt. I yeah. think he's an, a, a great teammate, but he's just one of those consistent players. I think um, for the Giants to continue to do better, they're going to need even more help. Galladay is going to have to step up and do his thing and know what he's capable of. And the defense is going to have to play co- complimentary football. But when you have a dual threat like, like Daniel Jones – um and how Saquon's playing like it's gonna be hard to stop those two and then you know you got great receivers you got my boy Sills on the outside they're gonna need some help though in terms of you know Chef is not easy to replace because of what he will do in the run game and then what he can do um just as a receiver so they're gonna have to play complimentary football in all three phases Benny is uh is Saquon uh, you mentioned Odell earlier too like is Saquon the biggest physical freak you ever you ever played with, or is it Odell, or you know, is it those two one two? Like, how, how do you how do you break it down with all the guys you played with? Yeah, I would say those two are one two. Uh, yeah, you got your Von Miller's, oh, Demarius Thomas for sure, because mm. Demarius was bigger than both of them, just as fast as both of them in the way he would carry the ball. But uh, I would say those three: Demarius, Saquon, and Odell. I mean, you just you just don't see things like that on a daily basis with people. <laughs> DT was six four two two thirty, and jeez, you know he was taking two yard screens, eighty yards. Yeah, the the old saying is no cheering in the press box, and that screen pass where Saquon did like a pirouette, broke a tackle, ran back to the left. Like I actually said, wow, like very loudly, <laughs> and a bunch of people kind of looked at me, but I'm like. I'm like a guy, a fan sitting on my couch at that point thinking, yeah. holy Lord, you know, I think I'm just witnessing something I'm not going to see again. Um, yeah. you, you mentioned Daniel Jones and his dual threat and his mobility. So Daniel never wants to come out of a game, obviously. And, you know, right now, I think the decision, first of all, it's about his health, but you could see in the game against the Bears, part of the reason they took him out wasn't just his health. Like he could, and you saw, he came back in the game after Tyrod Taylor got hurt. It was also the coaches saying, well, the game plan that's working, you can't execute it because you hurt your ankle, you sprained your ankle. What do you think as a player, and knowing Daniel, obviously, and just how these things work with teams, should an NFL team like the Giants keep Daniel out of this Sunday's game in London against the Packers, even if he's able to step on the field physically, to protect him and also because he can't execute his game and the team's game plan to the highest level? Or as a player, is it, it would that be unfair? You know, would it only be fair to say if Daniel's able to go out there, tape it up and go, he has earned the right and deserves the right to be on the field? I know DJ is going to try to play for sure. That's just who he is. Um, if, I'm, if I'm the Giants right now, I play the long-term game. And the ankle injury to me looked really bad. Um, and just the way he was limping out there did look bad. So... I play a long-term game. We're three and one right now. Um, question is, I don't know who, if Tyrod's not playing, I don't know who's who's under center. We but, still don't know yet. Yeah, so that's that's you know that's a little tough, and I know that's going to eat at at them a little bit in terms of like, all right, do we put DJ out there? But long-term, you know, for him to play really good ball in October, late October, November, and December, which is more important you know, do you just send him out a week? Mm. I would lean towards sending him out a week, but I'm also the same person. You know, I, I, I had a high ankle sprain. I sat out, I, I tried to shoot it up so I could play cause I didn't want to go on IR. So 
You know, wow. I know how DJs feel. <laughs> You've been there. You've been there. Yeah. When yeah. was that? That was the year we won the Super Bowl uh, against the Patriots, but I missed one week and I had to play the next week or else they were going to put me on an IR. And then that was back when the IR designation, you couldn't come back. So I had to do it. Um, Cause I knew we, I mean, our team was too good. And I didn't want to miss any time. How, uh, how did you make it through that next game? It was awful. I, I mean, I barely played. It was, I was limping a lot, but it didn't, it didn't really matter. We, <laughs> we kept winning. So that's a, um, that's a great window yeah. into what you guys fight through and play through. And I always try to tell people, and I say this to players too, like most people, you know, there's the official injury report, but most people don't have any idea. And sometimes we'll never have any idea about what guys are dealing with. And really the fact that every player on the team is dealing with something and it's not, it's just not listed and people don't know. Um, yeah. So it's, what, what a window into that. All right. So this team, are you worried the Denver Broncos? Two and two, um, and some, let's say, game management issues, outside and internal concerns. Obviously, Hackett brought in somebody to help him with game management. Uh, the offense hasn't clicked. They lose Javante Williams. So, you know, how do, how do you view the Broncos right now? Yeah, I'm worried about that team. Uh, Javante Williams is a big loss just in terms of what he can do. I, I mean, he runs the ball so hard and what he can do in the past game. Um, and then they're still finding their rhythm. I think that similar to the Giants, the Broncos need some help on the outside. Hmm. Um, they have an incredible talent in KJ Hamler um, that hasn't been utilized, to, I think, to the best of his ability. Um, so I'd be curious to see how he gets involved because he can stretch the field. And that's one of the elements that the Broncos need. Hmm. Uh, but their defense is playing incredible. Uh, and they have one of the best corners in the game and, and Pat Sertan. But I'm a little worried just – you know, this division's kind of, you know, between them and Kansas City, but the offense has to get going. Um, so, we're a little worried about them, a little bit worried about my Broncos. That's it. No, that's, a, that's an interesting point about, you know, everybody knows the name Sutton and Judy, but um, that Hamler, and I think Russell Wilson might have hit him on one deep one against the Raiders. Longest there. pass of the year so far. So, that's perfect example for, for you then, you know, case in point, I guess. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's a Michigan guy too. He went to, you know, he's from Michigan. So I know him very well and I know his talent and his ability and, mm -hmm. you know, he's a second round pick. So, you know, they got to get everybody involved. Sutton is uh, an incredible receiver and he, I think him and Russ have great rapport, but the other two need to get up to speed with, with Russ. All right. So are you a believer? Let's go back to the other, to the other category, the Miami Dolphins three and one with uh, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, starting in week five. I'm not a believer of the Dolphins. I don't know wow. how they'll finish up. <clears throat> uh, I think right now they're just they're catching the teams, a lot of teams off guard uh, with their speed. And I think Tua did an incredible job of, you know, placing the ball and doing some incredible things. But I, I'd be curious to see how they would, you know, continue to keep that momentum going um, towards the second half of the year where, you know, it gets a little bit colder places, other places, people understand what your go-to go -to, uh, plays are. So I'd be curious to see, but I, I'm not a believer in the Dolphins just yet until I know they, until I see them make the playoffs and until I see the leadership at the QB position. Interesting. And so speaking of the QB position, what did you think of watching the Tua Tagovailoa injury you know, seeing him come back in the Buffalo game, then watching the injury on that Thursday night game in Cincinnati and how, as a former player, do you view it, think about it and process it? Well, I process it in the same way, you know, you have to save the player from himself. Similar to Tua, the 2017 season with the Denver Broncos, I caught a, what I thought was a touchdown, uh, landed on my head. It's on YouTube. And I lose my balance twice. I fall down twice. I fall into the ref. Um, then I fall into the trainer, uh, but lost my, my balance. And I didn't black out or anything, but uh, didn't play, didn't come into the rest of that, didn't come back into that game, but played the following week. So it's easy to beat the concussion protocol. So they're going to have to change things around that um, because I played the next week and I knew I wasn't right. I probably would. I wasn't right the rest of that year. 
Uh, wow. But, you know, it was my last year in Denver contract. I was playing for a lot. I was playing for my family. Um, so with that being said, they're going to have to try to figure out ways to really diagnose and see when a player is actually back online. But you know, there's so much into that and the baseline testing. They're going to have to actually really test people and have a better test to actually because the, the threshold is so low. People fail those impact tests or not fail them, but have a low standard for the impact test all the time. Can you explain to me why it's easy to pass, as you said, the, the test? I mean, well, the impact test that they have you do, people don't always take it seriously. So your threshold is low. So when they're comparing it to your actual normal score, when you're normal, got it, it actually could be the same or better. Um, I just heard, actually heard my boy, one of my former teammates, Orlando Franklin, talking about it, how people would just fail the impact test. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense, you know, because I used to do the same thing. But you don't want to miss any time. It's not the team's fault. Um, you just don't want to miss any time. So you're like, all right, I'm going to get back out on the field. And when, when you um, – last concussion-related question here, but this is obviously a window into something people don't usually hear. When you said you weren't right the rest of that season – what things did you feel or experience that told you at different points, even though you were pushing through that you weren't right? Like brain fog, crazy anxiety, uh, nervousness. Um, just like a lot of overthinking rumination. Um, so it's, a, mm. it's just a lot that you can just tell, like, you know, something's a little off and you're trying to get back to that baseline, take whatever supplements you need or do whatever you need to do in terms of meditation whatever you may be, but <clears throat> wow. yeah, you, you can definitely tell. I, I saw, you know, I had a friend of mine who actually had a concussion uh, when I was playing in Denver. Now he never went back out there and played, but he wasn't right, right the rest of the year. And they would have him come to the facility every day and he would just walk. But you know, those concussions after you have a while, it's easier to get your second one, third one. So. And scary, frightening and, Hopefully, uh, unfortunately, it might it takes a situation like this sometimes for change to happen. But we're hoping the change that happens is meaningful and significant and protects the players, like you said, from themselves in these situations. So back to believer or worried, uh, the New Orleans Saints one and three. Jameis Winston hurt. Um, I guess hard not to be worried, but are you worried, or do you think they have a strong enough roster and leadership to turn it around? I'm worried worried about them. They do have the strong enough, they do have a strong enough roster. They have all the talent and ability. I think the one thing that is missing is Sean Payton. Sean Payton brings a different level of swagger. You can't just replace a CEO of a company or you can't just replace a head coach who has been there, who is, when you think about the New Orleans Saints, yeah, you think about Drew Brees and some of the other players, but you really think about Sean Payton. There are only like four or five coaches in the league where like, if you think of a team, you think of the coach as well. Not right. just the players, Sean Payton, Bill Belichick, Tomlin. Mike Tomlin, like those are the three. Yep. And I think that's what New Orleans is missing. I don't think it's a talent thing. I don't think it's a Jameis thing. I don't think it's. I wouldn't care who's that quarterback if Sean Payton was there. <laughs> we see he, less of Taysom. We see less of Taysom Hill without him. Yep, you see less of Taysom, and then at the same time, I mean. I seen Sean do it with Trevor Simeon. We seen him do it with Teddy Bridgewater. We seen it. It didn't matter who was that quarterback. Oh, that's, so, a, that's a good point. The, the different figurehead, and um, they do. They did gear up for this season, believing that they could still kind of go for it. But maybe the window is closing, not just because of other factors, but because that CEO that they're used to having, and really that great offensive mind, isn't there. That's a great yeah, it's point. Not, it's, not a talent, it's not a talent thing. They have one of the best rosters in football. They have one of the best receiving cores. They got the best, one of the best running backs. They got great tight ends. They got a great offensive line. <laughs> they got one of the best defenses and, two, and one of the best corners, safeties. So they're not lacking any talent. Okay, so speaking of it, there's another team actually, I think that as you're talking, that I identify with the head coach, and that's the Seahawks and Pete Carroll. And they are two and two, and Geno Smith is playing some ball. So I ask you, are you a believer in the Seattle Seahawks? I'm not a believer. I'm a believer in Pete Carroll, but I'm not a believer just in terms of uh, in terms of that team. I think I think they're playing good ball. They're playing complimentary ball, and big shout out to Geno and the way he's playing. I love the way he's playing. I'm just not a believer in terms of that division. 
you know, I, I see them still being the third team in that division, third or fourth team in that division. I still think the Rams will find their rhythm, and I think the Niners are playing great ball right now. So uh, that Niners defensive line is, I mean, insane. They were, insane. they, I think they were giving up, they were giving up 12 points a game going in. So I guess it's lower now, right? Uh, Cause they win that game 24 to nine over the Rams. But I, it's hard for me to see any team in that division having an easy time with them. I mean, th- they were just rolling. Their corners, their corner play, their safety play, one of the best linebackers, sideline to sideline and Fred Warner. And then the, the front four speaks for itself. You don't even have to blitz it to get, to collapse the pocket with them, which is, Awesome. All right, so I picked the Raiders to be in the Super Bowl. <laughs> no way. <laughs> they are one and three. They 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 get a win in Week Four, I guess, to keep uh, keep themselves on life support, so to speak. But are you are you worried, or do you believe that they have a good enough roster and makeup to turn it around? I think they do have the ability to turn it around. I don't know if they'll make the playoffs. It'll it'll see. But <clears throat> Josh McDaniels, I think that he found a – I think he simplified himself. I think, you know, early on in the season, you're trying to do all these incredible things. Hand the ball to number 28 and then let Derek Carr make great decisions. Hmm. Devo- they're, they're doubling Devontae Adams. Like, let's just make this – football is actually a pretty simple game. So – you know, I think Josh Jacobs ran for uh, over 150 yards. Yeah, Devontae he, Adams he, had his his 100 yard game, but run the ball, play complimentary football. It's not it's not that hard. Do what you guys did in New England. Do what it takes to win the game, and not just. I mean, I think Derek Gar was leading the league in passing attempts in the first three weeks. Like, run the ball. You have an incredible running back. Yeah, it's strange too because McDaniel's is a he does uh, like to run the ball. It's a run based offense. You know, you go back to New England and everything they love to do there. I mean, that's all he's ever done is yeah. is kind of pound the rock. Maybe it says something about the offensive line he thinks he has, but that would mean you wouldn't trust them in pass protection either. So, a little bit strange that they seem to be trying to figure it out on the fly. Uh, but obviously, making me look bad <laughs> with my with my <laughs> AFC pick. Uh, a couple more, then we'll get you out of here. We know you're a busy man. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars, only two and two, but uh, have looked promising and gave the Eagles some trouble there before Philly turned it on. Uh, I'm not a believer just yet. They, you know, they would have to continue to show me just because they have no, no pedigree of, you know, being a winning franchise and organization. I do like to see Trevor Lawrence doing well. I like Doug Peterson as a coach, but I'd be curious to see, you know, how they finish out the rest of the season. So I can't just say I'm a believer just yet. Hmm. And then a big one in the NFC, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Two and two, but some injuries. Uh, obviously, Tom Brady seems to have been going through some things prior to now during the season. Um, they're still 500, but are you worried about the Buccaneers? Or is this the kind of team that come Thanksgiving and December 1st, we're all going to say, why were we worried? It's when Tom Brady's at quarterback. I would say the first four weeks, he's always, always figuring it out. Okay. What are we, what are we doing? Well, what's this team's identity and it changes year for year at with him. Uh, so I'm not worried at all. He'll, he always figures it out. Um, but no different than in new England, we would always question them the first four weeks of the season. They might be two and two or three and one, or they might even have a losing record and you always question them. And then they, after those four weeks, they usually figured out, they usually have some weird losses to like the lions or, <laughs> you know, they always have some, something weird going on. Tom Brady always has something weird going on in the first four weeks. And then it's smooth sailing after that. Then he finishes, they finish 12 and four. They go on a 12 game winning streak. So <laughs> I can't necessarily, I can't say that I'm, I'm definitely a believer. Makes sense to me. And then finally, as you've watched the first four weeks, of the NFL season, which team do you think stands out to you as the best in football right now? Is is there a team that you think has separated itself uh, from the from the group? I think this is one of the most balanced times I've ever seen in the league, where I can't necessarily tell, you know, because you see Kansas City what they did against the Buccaneers, but then they lose to Indianapolis. Um, you see in Philadelphia, but they struggled a little bit with Jacksonville. You see in Tampa Bay with Tom, but, you know, they're two and two, but, you know, 
they're kind of going at status quo. And then you have teams like the Chargers who, you know, had all these expectations and they're sitting at two and two. So they're it just it's open. The Broncos are two and two. Uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of teams won't separate themselves until after week eight. Um, and then you'll be able to tell. So the sample size is pretty small. So, yeah, I would say Kansas City. I'm always going to keep Tampa in there. Philadelphia. And the mm. New York Giants. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and a Packers team that just struggled with a Patriots team in Lambeau that for part of the game had rookie Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky, a quarterback. So you look at the matchup Packers giants and you say, Oh yeah, Aaron Rodgers, the giants are going to have a chance. But if this one and three Patriots team had a chance, the giants do too, right? Absolutely. And Aaron Rodgers is also another quarterback who's kind of figuring out this is a new, this is new territory for him. And there's a lot of new receivers and injuries, but I mean, the way he slings the ball, he'll be all right. (laughs) Benny, we always appreciate your time. Look forward to catching up with you down the road this season when we have a larger sample size to evaluate, but really appreciate your insight, not just on the league and all the X's and O's and ins and outs, but also relaying those personal stories from your career that I think give everybody a great window into what players go through and hopefully stories and anecdotes that help current and future players down the road dealing with those difficulties and situations. So thank you so much and we'll catch you next time. Appreciate you, Pat. All right. Welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. In the wake of the mishandling of Tua Tagovailoa's concussion with the Miami Dolphins, wanted to bring on a very knowledgeable and special guest, Brad Sohn, Miami-based attorney. He's a candidate with some player support to be the next executive director of the NFL Players Association and has represented several NFL players in health and safety cases against teams. Brad, thank you so much for joining me. Pat, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you got it. So let's get right into the the dirty, nitty-gritty details of a situation we all wish had never occurred. But I thought you had an especially poignant uh, point and interpretation of why things went wrong here. And it was related to loopholes in the collective bargaining agreement, seemingly, that don't protect the players and the teams from themselves. But just you're the expert. What, what do you see in the CBA, how it's written by the league and the union, that allowed this to happen and that needs to change? Well, I think where you got to start when you look at this is um, understanding the dynamic that that is team medicine. And a team doctor, and by the way, you know, your, your listeners in particular, the Giants have phenomenal team medicine, have some great team doctors. Human nature, however, is what it is, right? You really have to understand the dynamic of team medicine, which is different than, you know, most people probably stop playing sports in high school when they might, you know, have an orthopedic issue and they go in and see a doctor. In this situation, the paycheck is being signed by the club or by a marketing agreement that the team has with a local hospital or something like that. And that doesn't automatically make, you know, the doctor that's treating the patient, in this case, a player evil. But what it does mean is just human nature is what it is. And people are, are, um, you know, on some level going to have to be responsible in some way for the, the, you know, the person that's name is on their paycheck, right? And so in that situation, you've got to make sure that the player's health has an advocate that's not in any way subject to a a bias or a problem like that. And so the idea of having a a UNC, which is an unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant, is a great one, which is basically you take a key part of the decision-making process out of the hands of somebody who, you know, at least has an arguable conflict and into the hands of somebody who only has the job of making sure that, you know, that brain injury isn't happening or if it is being managed appropriately. Yeah. The problem though, is that's not actually how it plays out. And if you look at how the CBA is worded, it's very, very clear that the team, the head team physician, which oftentimes, in fact, I think in all times, is not even a neurologist, is the person that's entrusted with the final and, and sole authority to return a guy to play, um, you know, with regard to brain injury. Right, right. No, it, it is really dangerous. And I didn't, I didn't fully understand that until you pointed that out to me. And sure enough, the wording, the decision to return a player to participation remains within the professional judgment of the head team physician. So obviously the league and everybody, the public discourse is about, well, why would a neurologist clear him? Well, it's cleared and it's decided ultimately by the team physician, right? So Tua goes out with a head injury, comes back, and they say it's back and ankle. So that's because the team physician – and we weren't in the room during these examinations, but 
a team physician, if I'm understanding this correctly, could say, well, we examined him, he passed the concussion tests, and I am changing the designation of the injury from head to back and ankle, at which point that removes the independent neurological consultant from the equation, correct? That's absolutely right. Uh, and, and just think about how problematic that is. The whole intent of the rule gets swallowed up by, by the ability for somebody who now is being paid by a team to go, oh, no, it's just an ankle. He's, that's why he's stumbling around. He can go right back out on the field, which you know is obviously a, a huge issue. So what do you make in that context of the NFLPA's pretty quick firing of the independent neurological consultant? From it was this was the the person who was affiliated and and working alongside the Dolphins team physician with Tua during his clearance in that Buffalo game. So if the team physician had final say, what do you make of that immediate almost investigation and firing of the UNC? Well, it, it, it's it's tough to know definitively, obviously, without you know being in the room. But it, there's a few things that come to mind. The first is just when you're you know. When you're looking at a situation where the the person that the buck is supposed to stop with is the team doctor, why hasn't a spotlight been shined there? You know, I mean, logically, that's just where your mind goes. Is okay. We the, regardless of how this actually played out, the person who's you know the final stop on the food chain here is supposed to be, according to the CBA, the head team doctor. Why isn't you know John Uribe being asked questions, you know perhaps harsher ones and scrutinized more than than anybody else? Uh, the other thing that really kind of jumped out at me and and you know it seems very uh, at least has the potential to be driven by you know making sure things look good as opposed to you know actual changes is the fact that if you look at why the UNC was let go, he wasn't let go based on any failure to actually you know do the protocol correctly with Tua. He was let go apparently for not cooperating appropriately with the investigation and for, and this one, I don't even know what it means for not understanding the role of the UNC. Uh, But both of these are kind of like weird, almost like procedural things that are not actually related to what went down in any way. And so it, it definitely runs the risk of feeling like an optics driven situation instead of an investigation done with an intent to really, um, you know, accomplish something. That's extremely interesting. And if, if the NFL, you know, if the NFL is guilty of anything year in and year out, I think a common criticism of people in and around the league is that optics, unfortunately, seem to drive investigations, public statements, major decisions like this, where you wish it didn't take an injury like this to start hearing some of the calls for amendments and reform that we, you, people like you are thankfully, you know, have been saying even prior to this, but um, the NFL definitely um, is guilty, in my opinion, of optics-driven reactions at times and often rather than preemptive measures. But No, there's, there's no doubt. Yeah. And, and sorry to cut you off, but, no, uh, you know, I, I have a, a, you know, I often joke, but I, I think it's really true. When given the choice between looking like it's doing the right thing and actually doing the right thing, the NFL always seems to choose door number one. It's unbelievable. Mm. And that, that's well, well put. And um, you know, when everything is on such public display, as we see on national TV, there's nowhere, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to hide. Um, you know, talking to Chris Nowinski, you know, the CEO of the Concussion Legacy Foundation, who was essentially predicting that this was coming and that Thursday night in Cincinnati, he said too, he pointed to that the NFL and the union, the way that the CBA is worded, they want to steer the concussion evaluations into the blue tent, into the locker room, when really the signs are right in front of us on the field, correct? Yeah. And I think what that kind of speaks to is there's a lot of there's a lot of misinformation that's out there on a lot of these topics. Um, and, you know, we got a limited time here and I don't want to put people to sleep on it, but <laughs> I, you know, I do think when it comes to um, like, like people hear concussion and they hear the phrase, you know, someone's being evaluated for it. And, you know, now they went into the protocol and they've cleared the protocol. You hear all these terms, but you don't really think about what they mean. And the reality is a concussion is not something that you can diagnose like a broken ankle or, you know, a, 
slip disc on an MRI or something like that. A concussion really is a judgment call in a lot of respects, because what you're doing is you're taking symptoms that are, you know, black and white, like for one, for example, a guy is stumbling around and appears not to have his balance. And you're then matching that up with, you know, whatever else you can. Is he having, you know, slurred speech or retrograde amnesia or a headache or anything like that? Um, But, you know, there's such a, if you just Google, you know, concussion symptoms, you'll see everything ranging from nausea to depression to, you know, so many of these different, you know, manifestations that it's not ever going to be the kind of thing where you can just look at it and go, okay, this person's symptoms, you know, and by the way, they, they often can take a day or two to even start to manifest, you know, in the first place. So it, it's a very, it's a very tricky diagnosis to make. And when you see something that's really, you know, kind of glaring, like what happened with Tua, and I say this, I am a lawyer, but I say this having spoken to a lot of doctors, having spoken to Chris Nowinski about it, the only responsible thing to do there is to just pull the kid and, and yeah. you know, and frankly, and not let him come out in the next game. But I think, you know, one of the issues that you get into then is there's misinformation that even has bled into, you know, guys in the PA. And I think, you know, there's still a strong desire by, you know, players also to uh, want to get back out on the field. And, you know, that's understandable, but it needs to be managed with sound medicine and people really looking out for their best interest. Right. And, and, and then also another key point, I think about the CBA you've brought up in some other unrelated, like, but player health and safety kind of umbrella is, well, it's a question for you, but like, would Tua be able to sue anyone over this, even if he wanted to, or does the language in the CBA dictate the joint investigation type thing that we are seeing and prevent that? Cause I know you've, you've been big telling me going back to 2020 yeah. and explaining about some of the language here that it kind of uh, seemed to clean some of that up on the league's behalf. If, if that's Yeah, it, it, it did. And, um, and not in a way that helps players. Um, it, it's it's weird to think about it this way and, uh, you know, to just kind of put it in terms that hopefully will make sense to a non-lawyer. When something is the subject of collective bargaining, if it's an actual term that's written into the CBA, it, it erects a huge, huge obstacle to getting into a courtroom. Um, it's not to say it's impossible. Um, you know, I think there are, there are ways to go about it. And, you know, there's certain things like, if a team doctor does something egregious, perhaps, although not necessarily, you know, that's an easier path than, say, trying to hold the league accountable. But, you know, to me, the big takeaway is uh, just, again, going back to human nature. Um, if people feel like there's, you know, carte blanche to do whatever they want, they're probably not going to behave as responsibly as if they know that they can be smacked with a gigantic lawsuit and, you know, have to stroke a gigantic check to you know, make the situation right. That often makes people, you know, think smarter about preventing bad situations from happening in the first place. And unfortunately, that's certainly been made a, a hell of a lot tougher. In the context of the Tua situation, were you stunned to see Cam Brait, the, the Buccaneers tight end, yeah. come back into into that game against the Chiefs? Yeah, I, I was. And um you know, he's a Harvard football guy. I'm a Harvard football guy. Uh, we've, we've got some mutual friends. And I was, in fact, I was hanging out with him at the Super Bowl in Miami a couple of years ago. And, uh, and we were talking about something and the subject of concussion came up. And, um, you know, it. I just I think back to it now. I don't want to get into, you know, personal conversation, but um, but I just, you know, he's a, he's a great kid. And, you know, when you see somebody just, you know, really put themselves into harm's way like that you just get get worried and concerned and and i just i got really pissed off when you know the world is on fire with this news for a week and yet you know not whatever 12 hours removed from you know announcements made about you know changes to the concussion protocol do we see exactly the same thing happen again yeah what what changes do you think need to be made to the protocol? Like in the immediate short term, like I know the league and the union essentially have already, you know, sat down and talked about this, but ultimately like, what does it need to look like for this to be done? Right. Well, I I think that one thing that's happened in more recent times with the PA is players Inc is a real business now and it generates a lot of revenue. And I think, 
that's only going to increase the bargaining power of the PA as we move forward in time. And, um, and you know, I think there are there are there are a lot of questions about kind of how you get to a final result. But to me, that like the big picture things are, you you have to create a system of healthcare for players where first and foremost they are understanding number one like what the real information is but then they're getting really unconflicted care so that look if if a guy wants to you know get back out on the field and do something and i'm really talking less about you know brain health because i think that's in a different category but if a guy wants to you know make a decision to play on a knee that's really in bad shape or something like that if he knows the risks i think we're you know, willing to tolerate in, you know, in today's world that like, if somebody knows what they're getting into and they make a choice, then, you know, they've made a choice and that's okay. Um, we might make a different choice, but you know, so be it. But, um, you know, what's happening now is you have doctors that, you know, a lot of times are pressured to get guys back out on the field if they're, you know, part of the, the actual, team organization itself, because obviously you got to win football games and, you know, or people lose jobs. And so uh, there's, there's that pressure that just has to go away because, you know, when you're dealing with brain health and, you know, I mean, I, I as I understand it, the JJ Watt thing was, was not as medically unreasonable as it might've sounded to a layperson, but still like brain health, mm. heart health, the guys have to be told non-biased, non-self-serving information and, you know, by somebody whose job is to care for them as a patient and not as a player. Yeah. And it is, it is a catch 22 and tough. You mentioned earlier, and then Chris Nowinski was talking about it as well. It's that players don't want to be stuck with a stigma that they get a lot of concussions or they've had a lot of injuries because they know that ultimately that means they won't be playing in the NFL. And so it, it sounds obvious to all of us what, you would want more checks and balances for your own health and safety. And clearly the rules need to be amended and they are being amended. But from the player's end, rushing a guy off the field, let's say in a case where you think he has a concussion, but he doesn't, players could be afraid that, oh, now this is, if they knew I had two in the past, now this means this is his third. And now I'm not going to pay him his ne- next contract because I'm afraid okay. of that. Um it's so interesting. I actually, I don't know if I told you this story. It was, we were talking off camera, but uh, so in the Giants game this week against the Bears, we saw some instances of diligent enhanced enforcement. So Julian Love was sent off the field, their safety, the Giants safety by the concussion spotter and yeah. then eventually diagnosed. It was good to see that. We saw Carl Cheffers, the referee, when Tyrod Taylor took that hit to the head, he basically sprinted over to the pile and pointed him off the field. Like the yeah. Giants medical team was coming over to take him off, but they point him off the field. You could see, but then Matt Breda, the running back on special teams, I think it was on a kickoff or pun- it was kickoff or punt coverage. He makes a tackle, but kind of seems to get need in the head. He gets up very slowly. He's grabbing his head. Then he jogs off. He's shaking his head. You know, they say shake out the cobwebs. Right. takes the helmet off, a trainer alertly grabs him, brings him over, and you can see them checking his neck, his shoulder, you know, everything. He tells me later that they decided he was he had a stinger and that he was tired, which is why he was kind of feeling the effects of fatigue. Right. I look at that situation. And now, Breda told me flat out, he said, if I thought I had a concussion, I wouldn't play. He had a college teammate who, who ended his career because of concussions. He said, there's more to life than football. That's what Matt said to me. But I look at a situation like that and I say, how do you manage this gray area where the, me, the observer, I'm looking at that and saying, this guy shouldn't play the rest of the day. No, doctors are telling him you don't have a concussion and he's saying, I don't feel one. So where do you go? Well, I think when you have objective signs, there's a, there's a phrase that actually, you know, in the neurology community has, has like come to be, which is when in doubt, sit him out. And, um, and it's, it's really true. I mean, when you have, you know, there's so much, there's just so much endless bad information. I mean, the notion that, oh, well, a guy gave a post-game interview and he sounded articulate, so he must be fine. I mean, that's moronic. Um, it, it really is. Like, there's just, <laughs> again, you could do a simple Google search and discover some of this stuff, but it's difficult because it seems like it's sort of the opposite of what you would expect. I mean, if you're not a doctor and you hear somebody composed and articulate and, you know, they have their normal affect and stuff like that. You're not going to assume, you know, oh, there's a brain injury, 
But, you know, think about how many times you've, you know, watched the heavyweight title fight and the guy gets TKO'd and then he does a post-game interview or post-match interview with, you know, Jim Gray or whoever, and he's fine. Like, that's just how some of this stuff works. And so example, you you really do need to err on the side of caution. There's no question. Um, And, you know, I think I will say, you know, there are 32 franchises and they are all different in their approach to medicine. And, you know, I can say good things about some and bad things about some. Um, I definitely think, you know, for your listeners to know, I, I definitely think that the, the, the Giants and, you know, the HSS team and everything are definitely, you know, right near the top as far as, as you know, giving guys good care. And so, you know, I hope that I hope that those situations were managed the way they should have been and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. But um, there's definitely there's definitely more problem children that I see, um, you know, than, than, than those guys. So for, for whatever that's worth, but you know, I think there's so many different things that you're fighting because, you know, back to Brita and what you were saying, like he, he's somebody who, I don't know where he grew up. I don't know what his background necessarily is, but, um, you know, the, the, the actual good knowledge about concussion, about repetitive head hits and ultimately CTE and things like that. It's, it's really amazing. You go into like lower income places or, you know, big football hotbeds, like certain parts of the South and Texas right. and like that, and people just don't know. And so, you know, they, they get it kind of beat into them from an early age about how they're supposed to, you know, play. And you're not even going to get to the NFL if you don't have an ability to be just laser focused on the moment. So it's a, yeah. it's a real problem. And, and I think the only way that you can, you know, really do things. You do have to take a lot of those decisions out of players' hands. You know, there are things you can do like, you know, guaranteeing contracts and, you know, maybe expanding roster sizes and stuff, which, you know, they cost more money, but they definitely, when it comes to life safety, I think that, you know, those are probably more important things or hopefully more important things. Right. And and I think your point to bad information being out there is a good one in the sense that, you know, I look at our, my business and Unfortunately, I just don't think there's enough people covering this. Uh, this is why, you know, throughout in my job as an NFL columnist, I'm trying to bring this to light. And people like you, thankfully, are knowledgeable enough to deliver that information to listeners. But I, I think too, it's not it's not a topic that lends itself to people's attention spans, the way people consume information now. Everybody wants to, you know, read a quick snippet on something and form their own opinion rather than getting into the weeds of yeah. talking to experts and reading about it, 100%. writing about it, right? I think and, – And you have to get – I mean, the reality is, like, you brought up the, the thing about this, the CBA and, you know, specifically the responsibility of the, the team doctor and stuff. I'm a lawyer. I've sued the NFL a lot. I've sued teams a lot. I went back and read the protocol and looked at it and saw an asterisk and saw a really small font and saw what it said and kind of my jaw dropped – you know, over last weekend when, you know, during the, the Dolphins Bills game. So you really do have to kind of work at this stuff. And, you know, a lot of people also feel like, oh, these guys know what they're getting into. I just want to watch the game and, you know, whatever and sort of dismiss it that way, um, which, you know, I get that. But the reality is there's plenty of ways without ending football, which I assure everybody I love as much as anybody listening to this pod and perhaps more. Um, but there's things you can do to really – um, mitigate against a lot of these problems without ending football. Well, like I said at the start of our interview, some uh, some significant player support behind Brad to become the next NFLPA executive director. You can see why he's an expert. He's knowledgeable. He spends a lot of time on this, and he's a hard worker. He is at Brad Sohn, S-O-H-N, on Twitter. Go follow him. And Brad, I want to get you out with one more question here. I saw you actually post a a poll, I believe, about this on Twitter. Um, when do you think Tua Tagovailoa is going to return? Because I saw some reports when Mike McDaniel says he's out for Sunday. I thought, yeah, you think? Sky's blue, right? Right. Um, but when is he going to come back? Is it going to be when the story dissipates? Is it going to be one game out and then the Dolphins will put their foot in the ground and say, we trust our doctors? How is this going to go, in your opinion? Uh, well, I mean, it remains to be seen. I think, I mean, just based on the body of evidence that that – you know, I've seen over the past two decades. I mean, I think he's probably going to come back in a couple of weeks. The reality is he should be shut down for the season. But, you know, I just I hope whoever's managing that situation is doing right by that kid. 
Me too, Brad. Me too. Thank you so much for all your insight. It was uh, something I think the listeners and every football fan really needs to hear. Like you said, we all love football. We want to make it better, safer for the players. Thanks again. Thank you. That'll do it for another episode of Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Thanks for joining me. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.